good to have you here this morning and uh, we're going to continue with our, our look at Revelation and end times. If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn to Revelation chapter 8. We're going to read uh, that chapter out this morning. If you've missed some of the past sermons and you'd like to hear the sermons, believe it or not, you still can. They are recorded each week and there's a few copies left at the back. They seem to be going very quickly. It's a very popular topic, the end of, uh, the, end of the world for some reason. And, uh, and I think there's three left over there. We've got... Uh, the rapture, the seven seals, and the 144,000 uh, that's still sitting back there. So I'll endeavour to bring a few more each week. Um, so if you need to hear those sermons, you're more than welcome to take a, a copy and even pass them around, share them around. There's no copyright on them, so you can copy as many times as you like. Let's read God's Word this morning as we look uh, in, at chapter 8. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there, were, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters and the name of the star is called Wormwood and the third part of the waters became Wormwood and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter and the fourth angel sounded and the third part of the sun was smitten and the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars so that as the third part of them was darkened and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this time. We can look into your precious, precious word. Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our hearts to your truth, that we would understand your word, but more importantly, live by it, that we might glorify your name through it. Lord, I pray uh, that you would uh, use me this morning to preach your word and that, uh, and that all our hearts would be ready to receive it. May your name be glorified here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I've mentioned already, over the past few weeks we've been looking at the end times and we've been looking at uh, the, the book of Revelation in particular. Now, we started off 
uh, with the rapture. Okay, the rapture was the first sermon that I preached commencing this, this series. And the rapture was basically the removal of all the saved people from the earth before the tribulation period starts. The tribulation period is when God starts to pour out his wrath and starts to judge the world in the last seven years. And the outpouring of God's wrath, which we're going to look at today, or part of that, is, is uh, the blowing of the seven trumpets. We started off looking at the seven seals. And the seven seals are the first things that are mentioned. And we looked at the first uh, six of the seals and found out that only Jesus was worthy to open the seals. And that the seals were the, de the decree of Almighty God in that the things that were written after each seal would occur on the earth during the final seven years before Jesus returns in the second coming. We saw the advent of the Antichrist who was riding a white horse which symbolised that he would take the world over with peace but that then following the white horse came a red horse which meant war and then pestilence and lack of and then death followed. Then we looked at the 144,000 in chapter 7 of Revelation. And we were introduced to a special group of people whom God had chosen specifically for that time that they would go and preach the gospel to the unsaved of the world. And, the, and that chapter also mentioned that out of the great tribulation, which is the last three and a half years of that seven years, that a multitude of people came out of that time who had washed their robes clean in the blood of the Lamb, which means they got saved. And they were saved as a result of the preaching. And as we begin our look into chapter 8, we are going to see the specific judgments of God upon the earth. We see the falling of stars, the judgment upon the seas, the land, the water. We see the devastation of this planet in a massive Massive outpouring of wrath with massive events of destruction taking place that the world has never seen before. Now it's interesting to note that the, that the series of the three sevens, so we have three seals, we have three trumpets, then we have three vials, really rest in one series of seven, not three separate ones. And it's because the seven trumpets are contained in the seventh seal. So you, God opens up the six seals, then the seventh one opens up the seven trumpets. And the last trumpet opens up the seven vials. So if you look at it and condense it all back, it's one series of seven. As we can see from verse 1 this morning... It says that there was silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. You might think to yourself, silence for half an hour, it's not such a big deal. It is a big deal. God is continually worshipped in heaven. Heaven is a place that's busy. And for there to be silence in heaven for the space of half an hour is a big deal. It tells us that what's coming next is going to be very important 
such a terrible uh, time is going to take place that even heaven itself goes silent. Now, why trumpets? Let's look at why trumpets. Trumpets were used in Israel's economy in various ways. They were sounded at times of public assembly to get people together, to signal important events in the calendar. Trumpets were used on occasion when the law was given and they were sounded on the first of the, of the month and served to announce almost every important occasion in Israel's calendar. Trumpets were also used as a call to war and a call for the soldiers to assemble themselves ready for war. And I believe this chapter has much to do with war, believe it or not. It has much to do with war. We're gonna, we shall see that the trumpet not only uh, announced to the world, announces to the world the coming destruction from heaven, but also to proclaim that war is underway. As we look at the 8th chapter and the 7 trumpets that are sounded by the angels, I believe that there is, an, there is a main character here that's revealed. And that main character, or the overarching main character in this particular chapter and in the next, is Satan. Okay, I want you to keep that in mind. As we read through this passage today, we're going to start getting a look at Satan's fall from heaven and the beginning destruction of the earth. As we look at the passage today, I want you to pay attention to how many times the word a third of is mentioned. We've already read the passage and you'll, you'll notice that over and over and over again it's mentioned a third of the waters are destroyed, a third of the trees are burned, a third of all the life in the sea is destroyed, a third of all the waters are made bitter. That's not for no reason. It's telling us symbolically that something else is taking place. And just to fill you in a bit more, for those of you who haven't made the connection yet, Satan drew how much of the angels of heaven when he fell? A third. Satan drew a third of the angels. When he rebelled against God, he drew a third of the angels with him. But we're going to look at that in more detail next week. But I just want you to keep that at the back of your minds as I, uh, we go through this passage today. Today's sermon will be a, a mix of preaching interpretation and science class okay so those of you who, who like science here oh eddie put up his hand okay some of you like science okay well i've got a science background so i had to give you some science with the stuff because i i did a bit of investigating over the last uh, few weeks in preparing this message so i hope you you're able to see and appreciate how it actually helps now with that in mind with all those things in mind let's take a let's begin to take a closer look at the, uh, the first of the trumpets. We're only going to be looking at the first four trumpets today, not the, the whole seven. We're going to look at chapter eight. The reason it's split up like that is the first four trumpets are, are, are trumpets that, that start to um, uh, unleash uh, the wrath of God on the world. But the last three trumpets, the, the angel says, are woes as well. And we'll read that as we, as we get to them. Revelation chapter 8 verse 1 says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. 
And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. This must be some altar in heaven. This must be some altar in terms of its size because we read in a previous chapter that the saints that had been martyred were under it, were staying under that altar. In addition, the altar, or this particular altar, is, it seems to be used as an altar for prayer where the saints' prayers are being offered up to God and incense was a symbol of that. And I, notice, I want you to notice a particular word here called censer. Now, what's a censer? A censer is basically a container, metal or otherwise, that holds incense. And it has some holes at the top. And when you add, in, in the Old Testament, when they, when they put incense in, which could be some sort of resin or, or leaves or whatever it was, um, they would add the hot embers from the fires that had been lit from the sacrifice and they'd add those embers, those hot embers glowing into that, they'd close it up and as that, those hot embers would begin to burn the incense, it would let off smoke. Now that smoke would be fragrant smoke. Now, who's got a Catholic background over here? Okay, who's been to a Catholic funeral before? Okay, if you've been to a Catholic funeral, you would, you would have seen this because the Catholics still do it. What they do is they exactly that. They have, they have hot coals in there. They add uh, incense, and the incense produces a smoke. Now, when someone dies in the Catholic Church, they, they spread that incense around, and, the whole, and pretty much the, the church is filled with that smoke, but that smell of that, of that incense uh, rises up. Now, that's symbolic of the prayers being offered up to God. And in this case, the angel takes the censer, fills it not only with incense, but he fills it with fire. It doesn't say embers, it says fire from the altar. And he casts it to the earth. Now, what does fire normally symbolise in the Bible? Judgment. Fire normally symbolises judgment in the Bible. So what it's telling us is that after the prayers were offered up to God from the saints, that judgment, God answered those prayers with judgment upon the earth. And as I look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I'm reminded of the other section that we already looked at a little while ago where prayers were being offered to God by the saints. And do, you remember, do you remember that? Turn to Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Now this is the opening of the sixth, the, sorry, the fifth seal. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, 
Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. That's a prayer, isn't it? God, avenge us. We want justice. And God says, justice is coming. Just hold on until your numbers are fulfilled. Some of you may recall a sermon that I preached a while ago about the justice of God. I went through the attributes, all the attributes of God, the mercy of God. There were some uh, sermons back there. And one of them was the justice of God that we looked at. And now we see the saints of God asking for justice. And we, we see God's response to them. And sometimes it seems like that way for us, isn't it? We pray for something and we expect God to answer and say, God, how long is it taking to answer this prayer? And sometimes it takes us years of prayer before we see that answer. In this case, these saints which had been slain, which were martyrs for, for what they believed in, were praying to God and saying, God, how long? How long before we're avenged? How long before justice is done on the earth. And God says, just hold on a bit more. God doesn't always answer our prayers or the prayers of the martyred saints immediately. But one confidence that they have and that we should have is that God always answers our prayers. He will. And he will in the best possible way at the best possible time, in his time. We just need to be praying consistently and not to lose heart. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus said, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, or for this purpose, right? That men ought always to pray and not to faint, which means don't give up. If you're praying for something, if, you, if something is on your heart that's so important, you need to continue to pray and not lose heart, not to give up. Continue to pray. You know why you should continue to pray? Because if the Spirit has put something in your heart, if something is important to you, God's put it there. God has made you aware of that need. And God will hear the prayers of his children. In James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. We pray this, pray this morning for healing, don't we? We pray every week pretty much for healing. And God hears our prayers. And, all, and James also says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It does a lot. In verse 17, he then goes on to say, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, Elias was moved the same way we were or we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth for the space of three years and six months. Now we're hoping Elijah doesn't pray that way now. <laughs> we need that rain. It's also interesting to note that prayer doesn't stop in heaven. When we're in heaven, we can continue to talk to God and he hears the prayers 
So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're praying for something, if something is burdening your heart, don't give up hope. If you've prayed for a day or two or a week or a month, if something is important and salvation is very important, don't give up. Continue to pray and God will answer. Let's get back to our passage. And we're talking about these saints that had prayed and said to God, God, how long before we're avenged? And I see a parallel here between this particular passage and the one we've just read, where the angel offers those prayers to God with that incense, and then as a result of, that, of those prayers, then, then rains down fire on the earth, which means the earth is going to be judged. I believe they're one and the same thing. as we look at the trumpets and the vials in the coming weeks we should also be aware that if you look at the way this thing's structured that we are in the period now of the sixth seal okay what we are looking at now as as the trumpets are being blown and the, we see next that the vials are being poured out we're in the period of the sixth seal which leads right to the end right to that seventh seal, which is pretty much the return of Jesus to the earth. The sixth seal gives us a general look at the period of escalating judgments towards the end of the uh, tribulation period. And we see that the trumpets and the vials really give us all the detail that happens during that time. I'll give you an idea. And I'm going to draw a picture for you so you all, you all see and understand what I'm talking about. But things start off in those last seven years, slowly. You'll notice it's, you know, God talks about the white horse, the red horse, the black horse. And we see these things starting to escalate and escalate and escalate. And you see as things after you reach the third, three and a half years, you see things start dramatically going up in terms of God pouring out wrath, in terms of things that are happening. Okay? And we'll look at that in more detail. But I, I, I believe what, what the seven trumpets and the seven vials are telling us or showing us is that towards the end you see so many things happening that God then gives us a fuller picture in that last period. And the seven trumpets deal with the last stage of the sixth seal. And the seven vials deal with that last, last stage of the sixth seal and the seven trumpets. And they all culminate in the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh vial. And interestingly enough, they all pretty much say very similar things. Turn with me to, the, uh, to Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. Look at the sixth seal again. Revelation 6, 12 says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal... And lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us! And hide us 
from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall stand? Get that picture. Every person in the world that's left at that particular time sees Jesus standing on his, or sitting on his throne, ready to come to this earth to judge the world. And they are hiding themselves because they know that Jesus is going to come in wrath. And they say, who is going to be able to stand? They even want to die. They want the rocks to fall on them. Now, that shows me that Jesus is ready to come to this earth, which is the final stage, which is the final thing that happens after the tribulation. The thing I want you to take notice of here is where it says that in verse 13, the stars of heaven fell unto earth. You know what we see in the, in the trumpets? We see the stars falling from heaven. We see that particular element coming out and being explained. With that in mind, let's look at the first four trumpets. Actually, before we do, turn to Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. I want to remind you of something we looked at a couple of weeks ago concerning the 144,000. Revelation 7, 2 says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east and having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And that's chapter 7. Now today we're looking at chapter 8. Now this is saying that an angel cried to the four angels that had the power to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hold on until we, we have all the guys sealed on their foreheads before you start hurting. Now, today, we're going to meet those four angels. We're going to meet those four angels who have the ability to hurt the earth and the sea because they're the ones that blow these first four trumpets. And they're told to hold off on those judgments until the 144 were sealed or we're told not to affect those judgments or put those judgments into effect. We're going to meet these four angels and these are the same who will blow the first four trumpets. This means that the 144,000 are not necessarily completely sealed at this time in number when the first trumpet sounds but are fully sealed in number when the, by the time the fifth trumpet sounds, when the demons are let loose to torment men who don't have the seal of God. Revelation chapter 8, verse 6. Let's look at that now. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Okay, we're ready to go. And the first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Let's stop there. Hail, fire, and blood falling on the earth. Now I can understand hail, I can understand fire, but blood falling on the earth. Most scholars say that this is symbolic 
of the bloodshed that's going to take place with that. And it's linking those two things together. Uh, hail with fire falling on the earth would cause much bloodshed, but there may be another explanation for that. And we'll look at that a little bit later, going into the actual sermon. But imagine for a moment the devastation, the devastation that this first trumpet produces. It's mind-boggling in scope and in destruction. We remember vividly the bushfires that happened here in Victoria. Okay? Some of us were affected by those. Now, during those fires, which killed about 170 people okay, and destroyed much property, 400,000 hectares of bushland was burned. 400,000. Now, keep that, that number in mind. Now, I did some research into the world's forest because this particular, this particular uh, passage, or this verse we've just read in verse 7 says, a third part of the trees were burnt up in the world. A third part of the trees. And all the grass was burnt up. Now, I did some research and I found the following information. 24%, or roughly a quarter, of the Earth's land surface, so of all the continents, 24% of them are covered by forests trees. 24%, about a quarter. Now the total land mass of the world is 150 million square kilometres. Therefore, a quarter of that, roughly, or 24% of the total land is covered by forests. That's 36 million square kilometres. So take a kilometre that way and then take a kilometre that way and it makes a square kilometre. Right? There are 36 million of those squares in the world that are covered with forests. Now, if the Bible says that a third of those are burnt up, that represents a third of 36 million is 12 million. 12 million square kilometres. Now, how does that compare with the 400,000 hectares that were burnt in Victoria? Well, basically, one square kilometre equals 100 hectares. Okay? So that means that 12 million square kilometres equals 1.2 billion hectares of forest burnt. 1.2 billion. Now how does that compare with the, uh, with the Victorian bushfires? Well imagine, if you do, do the sums, imagine that 3,000 Victorian bushfires all happening at the same time around the world. 3,000 of them all happening at the same time. Now just to, just to let's, let's put, let's just, Think about that for a moment. 3,000 of those bushfires happening at the same time. If we had, let's say every state in Victoria had two of those bushfires happening at the same time. Imagine in Victoria, the same thing happening twice. And then the same thing happening in South Australia. The same thing happening in WA. The same thing happening in uh, the Northern Territory, Queensland. Now, if there are seven states, basically, seven by two is only 14 and all our resources were pushed to the limits when we had one here in Victoria. Imagine if we had double the scope in Victoria and in every other state. That's only 14. What does it take to get 3,000 of those around the world? So the devastation is incredible when you think about it. And on top of that, it says that the destruction destroys all the green grass on the world. How does, how does this destruction, what, how does it occur 
that a third of the trees are burnt up but all the green grass is all scorched. Have you, does that make sense? It's hard to imagine. It's simply amazing that the heat that comes upon the earth to destroy all the grass needs to be uniform all around the world. Do you understand that? To destroy all the grass, to burn all the grass, that heat has to be even all around the place. It can't just fall in one area because it won't burn the grass on the other side of the world, will it? It has to be evenly destroyed, or sorry, evenly distributed all around the world. What phenomena can do that? Let's look a little bit further. Let's look at verse 8. Revelation chapter 8, verse 8. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. Stop there. Some have uh, described this particular verse in symbolic terms because I can't imagine a fire, a, a mountain on fire falling into the sea. So what they do is they then say, oh, that mountain must represent a, uh, a government, a type of government or, or leadership. And that human government, we might say, goes on fire and falls into the sea and never sees sometimes symbolic of the Gentile nations. So therefore, that symbolises the fall of the human government in the world. It's all nice. Seems to fit. The other possibility is that it's literal. That it's real. Now, it may, it may actually mean that the, it, also, it could also be symbolic of the governments of the world falling down. But now we like to be literal. And if we can find a, a literal... Uh, if there's room for the literal, we always put that before the symbolic. Okay? It's very possible that what's falling to the earth, like a great mountain, is an asteroid or a meteor that comes down. The description John uh, gives is probably as clear as anything you could give for that particular thing. You see, when uh, an asteroid hits the earth or some other uh, heavenly body, as it enters the atmosphere, it starts to burn. An asteroid can be as roughly, the average size of an asteroid would be between 1 to 10 square kilometres in size. How big 10 square kilometres is? That's huge. Even one square kilometres is huge. Remember I said to you, one go one kilometre that way and one kilometre that way, make a square, that's how big a one, a one square kilometre asteroid would be coming into the world. Now, if you were looking at that coming into the atmosphere, you know what it'd look like to you and me? A mountain on fire. That's exactly what it would look like. And then it says that it falls into the ocean and the ocean turns to blood. One possible cause for why the sea turns, can turn red is the thing called red algal bloom. 
red algae. If the temperature, scientists have found out that if the temperature of the, of the sea rises by one single degree, then the frequency of red algae increases and coastlines, most of us have heard the stories. In South Australia, I think it's happened a few times, where the, the shore, where the, where the coastline becomes red because the algae, a specific type of algae grows which has toxins in it. And as it, as it comes into the shore, the shoreline looks all red and it kills all the fish in the area. And all these millions of dead fish are swept up onto the actual shore. Now keep in mind what happened in the first trumpet. Fire comes down and burdens a third of the trees. This scorching fire from above would have also raised the temperature of the oceans by not one degree, but maybe by more. And the smoke from the fire would have settled on the oceans as well. Now, I did more research. The environmental influence of fires, of that many fires happening at the same time around the world. Remember, we said 3,000 bushfires, uh, Victorian bushfires, all happening at the same time around the world would cause or would release about 21 billion metric tonnes of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. About 5% or 1 billion tonnes of ash would then be generated and be flying around. 1 billion tonnes of ash would be flying around the atmosphere. Okay, that's how much smoke would be released. What happens is when that ash falls into the oceans is, is, is very interesting when you actually do the, uh, do the research, it increases the acidity of the oceans. Okay? It blocks the sun's penetration into the oceans and increases the temperature and increases the nutrients that go into the ocean. See, all that ash contains carbon, it contains a lot of other different types of elements in it. So when that stuff falls into the oceans, guess what it sets up a perfect environment for? Red algae or algae, whatever you want to, however you want to pronounce it. The, the change in the world's oceans from that many bushfires would cause huge changes in the world's ecosystems. Now, keep in mind also that the rest of the ash that hasn't fallen into the, into the oceans is on the land. Do you remember when, uh, when the bushfires were getting near the Thompson Dam, what they were trying to do? It was a Thompson, wasn't it? Yeah. When the bushfires were getting too a little bit too close for comfort to the Thompson Dam, what did, what did the CFA do? They diverted most of their, of their firefighters to that particular area. You know why? Because if, if the area around the Thompson got burnt, then as it rained, all that ash would go into the Thompson and would, and would pollute all the water. And we'd have even more problems with water than we have today. That's the same thing that happens in this particular case. Imagine 3,000 Victorian fires taking place and after it begins to rain on the land, all that soot and ash and everything runs off and goes where? Into the oceans and the waterways. It interferes with the marine ecosystems, with fishes breathing, feeding, and escalates the devastation. 
But what might cause fire and hail and this blood to come down? Well, how about an asteroid the size of a mountain? As it comes down into the earth, whizzing through the atmosphere and falls on either the ocean or the land. Let me read to you a scientist's account of what would happen if an asteroid the size of a square kilometre hits the earth. Now keep in mind, this is not a Christian speaking here. This is someone who probably doesn't believe in God at all. But this person, this scientist has estimated the results of what would happen if this were the case. And this article was written by a fellow called Sidney Vandenberg in the 1989 issue of the publications of the Astronomical Society of the Pacific. Okay, and it deals with a one kilometre, square kilometre asteroid hitting the Earth and landing in the ocean. I'll read this out to you. Obviously something this big hitting the Earth is going to hit with a lot of energy. Let's use the uh, energy unit of one megaton of TNT to describe the energy of the impact. This is equal to one million tonnes of dynamite going off at once. One million tonnes of dynamite going off at once. That's how they measure the atomic bombs, the power of an atomic bomb, if it was exploded. Okay? The largest yield, the biggest nuclear bomb the world has is 50 to 100 megatons. If, a, if an object that size hit the world, okay, like a falling mountain coming from the sky of only one kilometre square, it would produce a 60,000 megaton explosion. Now, mind you, the biggest atomic bomb is only up to 100. This is going to produce a 60,000 megaton explosion. And the, an earthquake equivalent to a magnitude of 9.4 on the Richter scale, that's not a small earthquake. On its way to the impact, now picture this, as this burning fire of, of mountain is coming through the atmosphere, the asteroid pushes aside the air in front of it, creating a hole in the atmosphere. So as it's coming through, it creates a hole behind it. It pushes the air in front of it and creates a hole of air. There's no air behind the actual asteroid as it's, as it's coming through. The atmosphere above the impact site is removed for several, sec uh, sorry, several tens of seconds before the rest of the air comes rushing back in to fill the gap. Material from the impact, vaporised asteroid, crustal material and ocean water escapes through that hole and follows the ballistic flight back down. Okay, let me, let me give it to you in more simpler terms. As, as something that big comes through, the, through the, uh, the atmosphere, it creates a hole in the atmosphere that's coming through so quickly where there's no air. Then when it impacts the ground, it shoots up all this material, and guess where it goes? It goes straight up that, that hole. And then what it does, it goes like that and starts to spread around. And it hits the upper atmosphere and starts to, to spread around. And when it says ballistic, it's like a ballistic, like a cannon. Okay, it does that sort of thing, like that. Now, he estimates that about 10 to the 5 cubic kilometres of matter gets shot up through that particular hole and ends up in the top layers of our atmosphere. It's lofted up 100 kilometres. Now, who knows how high planes go? How high does a plane fly at? 30,000 feet. Right? 30,000 feet is where planes fly. It's pretty high, isn't it? Well, 30,000 feet is about 
How many kilometres? It's only about 10 k's. This material that gets blown up from this impact goes up 100 kilometres and then starts to spread around the upper atmosphere. In other words, a huge amount of this asteroid, water and Earth, are rejected into the atmosphere from this collision. If the asteroid hits the ocean, the surrounding water returning over the hot crater, because it doesn't matter, how, doesn't matter how deep the ocean is, this thing, if it hits, it's going to make a crater at the bottom of that ocean, and it's going to vaporise the ocean as it goes in, it's going to make an explosion, and then as the, as the ocean starts to fill in that hole again, after it makes a 20 kilometre wide uh, hole, it starts to vaporise, it starts to um, make all that steam. So all this steam gets thrown up into the atmosphere as well. Now this is what I want you to take, take notice of. This, is, this is, was written by, by a scientist who's got nothing to do with the, with the Bible. Okay? He says there's going to be a global firestorm after that. Look what he says. The material ejected from the impact through that hole in the atmosphere will re-enter all over the globe and heat up from the friction with the atmosphere. The chunks of material will be hot enough to produce a lot of infrared light. The heat from the glowing material will start fires around the globe. I find that amazing, don't you? If this guy would actually write something that sounds exactly what's going to happen, what, what John is talking about here. This stuff gets ejected up, it spreads all around evenly the globe, and then it starts to come down like little bits of rock that are hot as they burn with friction through the uh, thing. You know what that looks like? That looks like hail on fire. And you know what colour the, the atmosphere is going to be? Red. I couldn't have done a more perfect description myself. Then it says this. He says the heat from the shockwave of the entering asteroid and, and re reprocessing of the air close to the impact produces nitric and nitrous acids over the next few months to one year. These are really nasty acids. They will wash out of the air when it rains. A worldwide deluge of acid rain will have damaging effects. It will, it will destroy foliage. It will kill ocean organisms and the ozone layer will be destroyed because of all the nitric acid that's produced. Then he says, all of the dust in the air from the impact and soot from the fires will block the sun and for several months you cannot see your hand in front of your face. That goes dark. It cools rapidly and then it starts to, the temperature increases to a large increase creating a greenhouse effect. The greenhouse effect is increased because of the increase of the carbon dioxide and water vapour in the air. The carbon dioxide level rises because the plants are burned and most of the plankton are wiped out. Also, water vapour in the air from the impact stays aloft for a while. The temperature becomes too warm for a period. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 8, verse 10. Keep those last two things in mind. He talks about acid rain, he talks about a global firestorm, and he talks about temperature. Revelation chapter 8, verse 10 then says, And the third angel sounded, and there fell, from, there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it, look what it says. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. 
and the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Acid is very bitter. The acid rain caused by the fires and debris can contaminate most of the water supply in the world. Look at verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for the third part of it, and the night likewise. That's exactly what this other guy said. He said that for, for a few months you won't be able to see your hand in front of your face. The world becomes darkened. It's not that the sun gets put out and the stars get put out. It's because there's so much stuff flying around in the atmosphere. You can't see them. Now, is the above exactly the way it's going to happen? Is what I've explained to you exactly the, the, the way it's going to happen? Mm, I don't know. But it, it sure fits exactly what, what the Apostle John's talking about here. It's a speculation on my part, and this is not preaching on my part, but what I want to show you is that how closely the description that John gave 2,000 years ago fits the scientific um, uh, uh, modelling of what would happen if, if this were to, were to take place. It fits exactly John didn't know anything about the rules of an impact of an asteroid on the Earth, did he? No. The resultant destruction of the first four trumpets will devastate an amount of the globe that has never occurred before. Millions will die as a result. The planet will be in chaos. But as bad as this is, the worse is still to come. Look at verse 13. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. We're going to look at this chapter next week. Aren't you glad you're not going to be here during that time? I can't imagine. Look at the panic that happened in Victoria, the fear that was produced by one bushfire. Imagine this stuff happening around you. Imagine you see that the, the sky become dark. Imagine you see fire falling from heaven. Imagine you see the sun go red. The sea begins to die. You see millions of dead, billions of dead fish around, the, uh, around your coastlines. Imagine the fear that will take place. There is judgment coming upon the earth and it is terrible. And if we look at this judgment in isolation, God looks like a terrible God. He looks unmerciful. It looks like he doesn't care about man at all. But I want to bring you back to a verse that we're very familiar with. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then verse 17 says, which we don't often quote, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God sent his Son to save the world. So they don't have to go through this. 
And Jesus said the same thing when he came. He repeated God the Father's same words. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus said himself, he came to save. Are you saved this morning? Are you saved? It's, it's it. You're either saved or you're not. There's no, there's no middle ground here. There's no like, I, oh, but I go to church every week, but I'm not sure whether I'm saved or not. That's just as good as saying I'm not saved. That's just as good as saying I'm going to go through this time. Are you saved this morning? Do you have the assurance that before all these judgments start coming on this world, that you will be taken away, that you will be rescued before these things start? If you're not sure this morning, why aren't you sure? Why wouldn't you make sure? Jesus is still here to save. But one day Jesus will return as a lion, ready to devour the world. And you might think to yourself, well, I might be able to hang out during the tribulation. If I don't get saved now, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give my heart you know, if the tribulation starts. Yeah, there's no guarantee of that. There is no guarantee that if you're not saved now, that you'll be saved then. You may die before you get a chance to even speak. You may be enthralled, like the rest of the world is enthralled, by the Antichrist and by the miracles that he's going to perform. There is no guarantee that if you're not saved now, that you will be saved then. And if you die without Christ, listen to Jesus' words that continued from the passage I just read. John chapter 12, verse 48 says that he that rejecteth me and receive not my words hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in that last day. Uh, the words that Jesus speaks will judge at the end of the day. If we reject him, we will be judged by this standard not by our own standards you know the world the world loves to argue and say god but i don't want to do it that way the bible says that god made a way god will make a way god made a way and the world loves to argue and say but i don't like that way i want to do it why don't can't we do it another way and it's a bit like people arguing and saying well a building is burning down right and you're in that building with some people and you see an exit and you start to argue amongst yourselves and say why is there only one exit here there should be a few why don't we start making another exit somewhere else that's how foolish men are people are that foolish that the, that the building while it's burning down would be arguing about the exit take the exit get out Get saved. Don't argue that, that there's only one exit. God provided that exit for you. Use it. 
But men like to say, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether I should go through that exit just yet as the flames are coming down upon them. And if the flames come down upon you, the flames will be forever with you. No escape. Once you're locked in that building, there is no escape. This world is going down in a, a torrent of flames. And people argue amongst themselves and say, oh yeah, but I've got time. I want to enjoy myself a little bit more. Or they argue, oh, surely God can't provide just one way to get into heaven. But the Bible says there is only one way. And Jesus says he was that way. Any way outside of that is no way. You're straight back into the fire. You need to make a decision this morning. If you're not saved today, make sure you're saved. It's a very simple process. Just say, Jesus, I believe that you've died for me on the cross. You paid the penalty for my sins. I reject this world and the sin that, that, that's in this world. And I turn to you to save me. And I trust that you will save me. That's as simple as it is. But people can't do that. Because it means then I've got to do it God's way, not my way. It means then I have to live a life for him. How hard that is. God's put so many rules and regulations on, on Christians. You know, they can't get drunk and they can't, they can't do all this sort of stuff like that. We can't enjoy ourselves like we see the rest of the world doing. The things we fool ourselves with. The things we hold on to. Isn't it amazing? Man is absolutely amazing. The Word of God will judge every person on this planet. The word of God will judge every word and person on this planet. Have you read the word? Do you know the word? Do you understand it? More importantly, have you received it? If you haven't received Jesus, if you haven't received his word, you haven't received Jesus, and the Bible simply says to receive him as your Lord and Saviour. That's the meaning of the whole thing. It's okay for us and almost exciting for us to understand what's going to happen later on, isn't it? It's nice to know what's going to happen in the future. But are we ready? Are we ready? And if we are ready, how are we helping other people to get ready? Because yeah, if, if, if I'm as uncaring and as unloving as to let my friends and family go through that without warning them about what's coming aren't I guilty if, if I know that this impending judgment is coming on this world and people will have to go through this misery and torment and I don't tell anyone about it what does that make me it makes me like a person like a fireman who goes to a house that's burning down with the occupants inside and guess what? I'll sit in the truck and just watch it go down. What would you say about a person like that? Wouldn't that person be brought to jail? Wouldn't that person go, go up in front of a court and say, you had a responsibility here to do your job, to warn those people, to get those people out of that, of that flaming building. Instead, you sat in your truck and just watched it go down with all of them inside. And yeah, Christians do that every day. They allow people to go to hell. 
because we're too timid. We don't want to run into a fire to save people. But you know what Jude says? Jude says, if you have to take them by the hair and pull them out, do it. Are we ready? Have we received the Lord in our hearts? Are we living like that? It is the last days. Not long to go. Everything's ready to go. Do you know how, you know how many days it'll take? Do you know what has to come into play before we are raptured? Nothing. Nothing has to be. Everything's ready to go. And we mess around. Let's give him our hearts this morning. Let's not only make sure we're saved, let's make sure we're living like the saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for this precious time when we've, we, we can look at this word, we can take it into our hearts, but Lord, I pray that we'd be affected by it. But I know we will. Because you promised that your word never comes back empty. So it's now been planted in our hearts and I pray that that word would take root and continue to change and mould our lives, that we would live lives that are more like Jesus every day. That we would look to him as our example. That we would be motivated to share the gospel. That we'd be motivated to live for you. You deserve all the glory and the honour. And we thank you, Lord, that you are such a patient and merciful God. That 2,000 years after your son came to this world to save it, that the majority of people in this world still have rejected him. And you are still patient. You still give mankind the opportunity to repent. We thank you for this precious mercy. We thank you for your patience from this world. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us, your children. That even though we have been adopted into your family, we still don't sometimes act like it. Pray, Lord, that you bless each and every one of us, that we may live as your children, in every thought, word and deed. That we might be examples in this world, the salt of this world, that people would see the difference in us and turn to you, knowing that you are the God of this universe and that one day you will judge every man and woman. We thank you once again for this time. I pray that you bless us now as we depart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.